of the darkness into your glorious day. What a, what a truth that Jesus changes uh, our lives and uh, makes uh, the joy in this life that God intended uh, us to experience a reality. So I hope this summer you're having a good time, getting a little change of different experiences. Julie and I just had our two adult kids, uh, two adult, oldest two daughters and their kids here for three weeks. We have had more fun and there have been more energy than, uh, oh man, too, too good. Uh, uh, the, our oldest daughter took off this morning with her family, but too good. Good stuff going around here. Uh, you, you saw last Sunday a, a video of our, our uh, junior high and high school students having fun. This week, uh, our younger kids ha had summer adventure. You'll see some of the decorations still up there. Right now, there's a service going on in the student building for the parents of those kids. Hopefully, uh, getting some, uh, maybe some adults connected uh, around here. And so, uh, be thinking about that. And, and that's what, uh, again, summer brings a little different opportunity for for some uh, different experiences. Hope you're getting some, some rest. So we're in this series. I hope you're enjoying it. I love it, called Unstoppable. The book of Acts written by Luke is really about the launch of the church. So we've been working through it, looking for some principles. You'll see focusing on Jesus is a key one. Uh, living with in, in integrity, Ananias and Sapphira. God knows everything. We can fool other people, but why would we? Because we can't fool God. He knows us and he loves us and we're justified in him. Why would we pretend? Why would we lie about who we are? It makes no sense when the almighty God loves us like we are, so we live with integrity. So we're going to one of, I think, my favorite principles for the church working. Here's the big idea for the text today, and it's in chapters 10 and 11. We're not going to read all the verses today, but this is essentially what God wants us to see to make the church healthy. Eat whatever you want. This is a meatloaf sandwich from Stefano's. Rob Ulrich introduced it to me. So Rob Ulrich, I look... A family of four could eat a healthy meal in this, but I have learned how to consume one by myself. It is delicious. And I love steak, but not without ketchup. So I've been ridiculed around here by numerous folks. I mean, if you don't have ketchup, it's okay. But if you drink, so my brother and his wife and you and I were out at a dinner here years ago and the nicest steak, most expensive steak I've ever ordered. So he brings my steak to the table and I said, hey, I got a request of you, but I need you not to tell the chef. And he said, no problem. I've worked here seven years. Last night, a guy ordered that steak and then asked for ketchup. We took a picture of him. We're still throwing darts at his picture today. How may I help you? May I have some ketchup? He looked at me. I'll get that. And then you can't leave this one out. I got all kinds of food. 
Oh, but lemon pie. I got, I like lots of food. And God's going to tell us today, part of the key to the church being healthy is eat whatever you want. Now, I'm going to encourage you later to look at chapters, read all of 10 and 11. We're not going to read all that today. If you allow me, I'm going to summarize the big ideas and the points that God has, has for us. It's built around two visions. Cornelius gets a vision, and Peter gets a vision, and then they meet. And through that, we're going to get the lessons for today. You all following me so far? So Cornelius, he's a well-to-do Gentile. You want to be processing this as you go. He's a centurion. He's making a decent salary. He would have lived very comfortably at that time. He worshiped the Jewish God. Somehow this Gentile got an accurate picture of who God is. We would say he had a good Jewish theology. Last week we looked at Saul, who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Did he have a good Jewish theology before he met Jesus? Be paying attention to what Luke's trying to tell us. Saul, the guy that had studied the Old Testament his whole life, had a cruddy view of who God is based upon his understanding of the Old Testament. Here's a Gentile, what Luke's going to want us to see. He actually got it. Here's a Gentile who had a healthy view. But here's again what we're going to see, not in this first text we read, but as you go, go through it. Though he had a good Jewish view of God, it was incomplete. It was incomplete. He had a healthy relationship with God, but he needed someone else. He needed Jesus. So here's the Cornelius vision. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. He was a military leader of about 100 folks, of what was known as the Italian cohort. Would have been six centurions, each leading 100, so probably about 600 folks in this cohort, with six centurions leading them. Now, notice this verse 2. He's a Gentile. He's a devout man. He's getting this faith thing that he could have from the Old Testament right, who feared God in the best sense. He's got an accurate picture with God, with all his household. This was a family that had a good understanding of who God is based upon an accurate understanding of the Old Testament. Beyond that, he gave alms generously to the people. He helped the poor. His love for God was happily expressed in trying to help other people. And then he prayed continually to God. He understood the Old Testament. He got it right, though he's a Gentile. In about the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, about the ninth hour of the day, he, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. Every place in scripture where you have an experience like this. And said, what is it, Lord? Remember what Saul said last week? Who are you, Lord? He doesn't have to ask who. He knows. It's God. Uh, uh, and I was up there somewhere. Came in and said, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial. God's heard them and he's remembered them. They work. 
Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon Peter, one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout, a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. First vision. Go get Peter and have him come to you. Peter's vision. Eat whatever you want. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. Now this vision happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Cornelius' vision is pretty clear. Go get Peter, bring him here. Peter gets the same vision three times, and he's left like, what? What are you trying to communicate? Huh? Now, this is important. So if you follow some of the story, Cornelius then sent his guys uh, 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 to go to Peter's home, and they go to Peter's home, and, 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 and they recount what happened to Cornelius in his vision. Peter says, hey, come stay with me, and then the next day they take off, and, and Peter goes to Cornelius, and then he meets Cornelius, and they start interacting here. Now, here's what I want you to notice. So many truths in this. Morning, you guys online. Nice to have you with us this morning. God sends an angel to talk to Cornelius, and he goes and talks to Peter. Does he say everything he wants these guys to learn? He sent an angel for pity's sake. I'm thinking as long as the angel there, maybe the angel can just tell each of these guys what they're supposed to know. Now, we talk about this a lot, but God always uses people. People. Peter gets a vision. I'm like, how hard would it have been for the angel to say, Peter, this is what it means? From the beginning of time, God uses people to promote his glory and his goodness. He uses us. Now, is he involved in the process? Yes. Is he doing the heavy lifting? Yes. But do we get a part? Peter's not going to understand stuff. Cornelius isn't going to understand stuff. God's going to work through Cornelius to reveal some stuff to Peter. God's going to work through Peter to reveal some stuff to Cornelius. 
and he didn't need either of them. But it's just how God's works. Why our promoting Jesus, not only in what we say, but how we say it, is so stinking important. Because that's the way God works. So God's lesson for Peter, eat whatever you want. No meat is unclean. Now I think there are two dimensions to this this, this saying. The first is now, the requirements of the Mosaic law are finished. You remember about 1,300 years before this, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he comes back with a bunch of rules. Leviticus is filled with them. So when we get to Leviticus, we usually just skip over it. And it's these rules that were intended to say. A relationship with God is important and it touches every element of your life. So in faith, I want you to follow these rules, make these sacrifices. You got to keep making them because you're never going to get right on your own. All that sacrificial system was to point eventually to Jesus. You with me here? So Jesus is arisen into heaven. The church is brand new. They're still trying to figure that out. So they're doing the sacrificial system and the Jewish stuff as well as trust Jesus. And this is God's way of saying to, to Peter now, you don't have to keep following all those rules. You had clean meat and you had unclean meat. Leviticus 11, it's talking about most specifically. Guys try to figure out what... How did God decide what was clean and unclean? Just let me tell you, I've read a little bit. I don't know. I don't know why that one was clean and this one was unclean. The point of it was to say you're going to live differently and you're going to separate yourselves that you might reveal through your relationship with me who I am. God speaking now, right? Is everybody with me thus far? So there was meat that was clean and there was meat that was unclean for 1,300 years with this angel and the interaction with Cornelius is now revealing, you don't have to keep these meats off your table anymore. You can now enjoy them. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. He's going to hear it three times altogether. What God has made clean through Christ, do not call common. That stuff was unclean for 1,300 years. You had all these sacrifices and all this stuff you're supposed to be doing. There's a lot of depth in this truth right here, beyond meat. But the whole sacrificial system now, you don't need to follow it anymore. And God doesn't have any racial favorites. So, how many have heard that God called the Jews? Called them his people. Doesn't that feel special like a favorite to you? Now again, here's why. God's invisible. He wants to reveal himself. So, you know who he picks? these puny people that are not as a people, and I'm not talking physically, but as a nation, they're just not that attractive. 
He's going to pick those that aren't doing so well, that he might glorify himself. So the Old Testament is a record of God having a relationship with the Jews, primarily that he would reveal himself, not just to the Jews, but to all of us. Now, the Jews didn't always quite understand that. And they ended up thinking that they were better than other people. You following me? And that's what now Cornelius and the vision is being made clear to Peter. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. They couldn't visit with those people, certain meat they couldn't eat. To show and reveal God by being separate, by living in a way that nobody else in the world left as an expression of their faith in this God. But Peter now, after he meets Cornelius, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. God doesn't have any racial preferences, including the Jews. They were called to be a people through whom their special relationship with God would reveal God to everyone. But now Jesus comes and changes it. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Any questions? Any questions about ethnicity? From God's perspective? Peter, here's how he arrived He's got the Jewish system, and he's got Jesus. Through the vision and meeting Cornelius, don't need the Jewish system anymore. It's done. It's just Jesus. So God's lessons for us. The requirements of the Mosaic law are finished. Now, how many of you have tried to keep the Mosaic law? May I see your hands? The Mosaic law was always to be an expression of faith. That's how those who got it right viewed it. The majority of the priests, they used this system which is intended to help them see their need of Jesus to earn their way to heaven by following the rules. They misunderstood and perverted it. You with me? I don't think we're wrestling with keeping the Mosaic law. I haven't met anybody. Boy, Leviticus 17.2 just penetrated my heart. And this is, this is rhetorical, but when's the last time you looked at Leviticus? But this works righteousness tendency, I think that's where we still wrestle. And I think sometimes it comes from our being raised in the church. I remember as a kid, I couldn't really process the Trinity, the sacrificial atonement of Christ. Eschatology was a word nobody even used, thankfully. So what did we emphasize? Behave, behave, behave. I remember my mother saying, would you do that if Jesus were here? We raised our kids. Jesus was never the disciplinarian, ever. You know why you do that? Because I told you to do that. 
Me. I didn't ever want Jesus to be the disciplinarian for my kids. I didn't want him to have the picture that I grew up with. But this idea of outward conformity. So church attendance. I should just go to church more. Should be in a life group. They keep talking about life groups and how beneficial it is, but I should probably do that. Oh, I just don't read my Bible very much. Todd keeps talking about how much he loves to read the Bible. I just don't find it, quite frankly, that interesting. Scripture memory? Oh. Oh. Chuck Wilson knows most of the Bible by heart. I'd have trouble thinking of five verses. Something's wrong with me. Prayer? I should pray more. Giving? Oh, I should give more. Evangelism, I'm just not doing very good. Now, here's what I want to make absolutely clear. I think these are all fabulous things. But why do we do them? Because they produce this joy and we get to know Jesus better. Sometimes I talk to people and they'll sow any one of these, oh, just read the Bible more. Oh, with that attitude, I can see why you're having a little challenge getting motivated. And when people say these things to me, I don't always know what they're feeling, but it feels like to me they think somehow they're going to earn God's favor and make him a little more pleased by doing this stuff. Works Righteousness. It's the temptation. Here's where Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. Every one. We don't do anything. Nothing. You trace every other religion and there are elements of work combined with faith. Christianity, ah! he just gives it to us. And why do we do those things? Because we get to understand who he is better. And when that happens, we get even happier. And it motivates us to share that love with other people. Giving, thank you for your giving around here. Don't ever give out of obligation. God doesn't need the money. Now our hope around here is you get so excited about God. You see the student thing and what's going on. You got summer. It takes money to do that stuff. this is good stuff. Jesus plus nothing. God doesn't have any racial favors, so neither do we. Homogeneity is a powerful principle in truth. It's applied to people. We just generally like and prefer people that are like us. It's just a principle. There's nothing wrong with the principle. My concern is when that homogeneity drives us to show such preference for some that we have some element dimension of disapproval for others. In our culture, around here, I hope that at least in theory we would say we don't have any preferences for race. Many of you know Julie and I, our youngest daughter is African-American. 
there's racial prejudice that at least she has faced in your Belinda. I won't go into any detail, but for those who don't think it exists, it does here in your Belinda. Got certain folks, whatever that ethnicity be. Because we like homogeneity. What's the easiest way to tell who's like me? Bald people. I have strong preference for bald men. <laughs> I think bald men, they just got it more together than the guys with hair. I don't look terribly down on guys with hair, but just a little bit. We tend to like people like we are. Religion. If you ask me what the challenge is, I would say it's not ethnicity. I'd even go in our country, it feels like to me, folks just tend to ethnically stay together. This is still the most segregated hour of the week. Particularly after 9-11, there's a race and a religion that it feels like to me in our country might be prejudiced against. All kinds of things. Income. People who are really poor, we think less of. I've been with people who think less of the people that have a lot of money. Prejudice against rich people. You see, it can go wherever people aren't exactly like us is the temptation. You know, attractiveness, 20, 20 years ago, I saw they did this research study on attractive people versus less attractive people and how easy it was for them to get help in a department store. Guess who got more help? I've just become accustomed to nobody ever waiting on me no matter where I go. <laughs> but I understand it. Intelligence. Where's somebody there? Giftedness, musically, artistically, athletically, whatever it is. Uh, education, where somebody is in this prejudice uh, against those with education, prejudice against those with it. I think there are limitless ways. And so what I'm encouraging you to do right now is where are those? I, I got some of my, I'll tell you one of mine. Harder for me to love lead pastors who it feels like to me are more about building their kingdom than pointing people to Jesus. Now, this is a conviction. This is not healthy. I, I, God, I was sitting in my office 23 years ago and it's like, you know, lead pastors just generally irritate me. This is not of God. I got other areas. God's working on me. I'm going to encourage you to think about where you are. If you ask me in our culture right now where it feels like to me, the last two where the greatest prejudice is, politics. Now, I'm talking about we believers. We got people on the right. We got people on the left. And wherever, if they're not on our side, they're just going to get a little less love from us. Now don't hear me suggesting we don't articulate our views because it's about reflecting God in everything. It's about loving folks. Love was a big idea to Jesus. The other one now is cultural values. Where I've shared with you, I'm not surprised by what's happened. I am surprised at how fast this has gone. 
but the people who are on the opposite side of us of cultural values. Here's the wonderful thing about those folks. Oftentimes they reveal where they are spiritually without ever mentioning Jesus. This is a gift to us as we intend to bring Jesus to them. But about having no prejudices in terms of who God would like to receive the gospel. Everybody. God's lesson for Cornelius. You got that one? Essentially, again, my summary is, what's my summary for that first point? Eat whatever you want. Yes, and you understood I took some liberties with really the meaning of that. You got that right, Art? Yeah, but I'm going to have something lousy to eat for lunch, so I'll feel better. Here's the lesson for Cornelius. Pretty important. Don't miss this. Last week we looked at Saul, because Luke on the higher level here from about 80,000 feet as he puts us through that. Who did we talk about last week? Any remember? Anybody remember? Who did we talk about? Saul. Look at the way Luke's putting this together. Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew the Old Testament, but he's at least approving of Christians being put to death. He was there at Stephen. You remember when he goes to Ananias, Ananias, God says to Ananias, hey, I want you to go deal with Paul. And Ananias is like, Lord, do you remember who he is? He shows up in Jerusalem with the rest of the disciples. Remember what they said? Mm, I don't think so. You got this guy on one end of the spectrum that nobody believes can be saved. Absolutely nobody thinks he's going to be saved. And God saves him. This week, we're at the other end of the spectrum. We got a God-fearing Gentile, a guy who's got the Old Testament right, but he's still missing Jesus. The point, everybody needs Jesus. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace. This inner peace that cannot be found in any other way. Anybody who doesn't love Christ is not experiencing this peace. They will hold views different than ours. Their views may not make sense. Their views might actually irritate us. And probably not you, just me. But they need this peace. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all. Don't miss what Luke is saying here, what made the church so formidable. Because it's one of my significant concerns for the evangelical church in America. I'm afraid we're not always keeping our eye on the ball. 
How many times as we've gone through Acts, does whoever, whatever they're facing, they go, Jesus lived and did some great things. You see it here? Then where do they go? Jesus died. Then where do they go? Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of stuff out here in the world we want to be dealing with. A lot of stuff that we should be salt and light in love and grace, standing for God's righteousness. But what are we focused on? Jesus. You yourselves know, verse 37, what happened throughout Judea and beginning with, from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the, in the country of the, uh, uh, of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness. Go back to the Old Testament, read it accurately, like Saul did after he was converted. He didn't get it before. Love these words. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We've looked at several principles and acts that made the church so formal powerful. Don't ever miss this. They kept their eye on the ball. They're forced out of Jerusalem. They got to run from their families. They got to run from their homes. They got to run from their jobs. And what did they do when they left? They went talking about Jesus. Because there wasn't anything that neared the consequence, importance, significance of Jesus. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. It's the early church. They're still figuring this out. Jesus told them. But remember, Jesus told them a lot of stuff they didn't quite process initially. You know, a lot of things became way more clear after he rose from the dead. But they're still figuring this stuff out. Gentiles can be saved too. Promised Abraham. Abraham through you is going to be a descendant for all people. But it's taken them a while to figure it out. Could the angel sent by God to Peter just have told him that? He could have. God uses Cornelius. And the believers from among the circumcised, those Jews who were Christians, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now as you go into chapter 11, Peter's going to go back and help his brothers understand this truth. Now this is a quick sidebar. 
It's just the temptation to still succumb to peer pressure. Peter is the guy that this truth, God chooses Peter to reveal this truth to the early church. Everybody see that? But later on, some Jewish Christians are going to come to him and go, no, 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 those Gentiles should be circumcised too. Which if you think about it, if you're a Gentile male, it's not the most pleasant thought. And then Saul, after he's converted, goes to Peter. Peter's the guy that gets this. Even after we get stuff, we can still slip back. The power of one another. And Paul then goes to Peter and goes, mm, Peter, remember that vision you had three times? Remember that? You went to Cornelius' house? Peter, 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 do you remember that? Quit going back to the Jewish system. It's dumb. And Gentiles get saved. I'm assuming that's the majority of us. I don't know about you, but I'm thrilled that the Gentiles get included. I get to be a part of this. So Cornelius, he had the Jewish system. He meets Peter, and he it gets Jesus added to that, right? The fulfillment of the Jewish system. What the Jewish system, who the Jewish system was to point to, and then he understands we don't need the Jewish system anymore. So how does it look? Peter and Cornelius, they get it. It's just about Jesus. Our day and age, I hope that motivates us to read the word, to get more, to come here to be encouraged, to give towards the advancement of this message. That's what our money is being used for, to promote the good news of Jesus. So God's lesson for us. You made me get tired of me talking about Jesus. I want to assure you, I don't get tired talking about him. So many things going on in our world. So many things we should be involved with and are involved with. But Jesus is the center of us. And so the center of how we approach everything. And treasuring Jesus above all else is essential. Seeing his beauty and his glory. If you're here today or you're watching online today and you haven't quite said, I'm going to treasure Jesus, please keep thinking about it. Keep asking God to reveal to you who Jesus is. Come talk with me. It happens to be my favorite subject. Talk to somebody else. But if you're not experiencing that peace like you would like, we have an answer for you. His name is Jesus. We are a people that are committed to introducing anybody and everybody to Jesus. Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven, but you who love me, you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Let me summarize it this way. Wherever you are, because Jesus is in you, he goes with you, so you live to share him with all those folks. Don't care about the politics. Don't care about their religion. I don't care about their socioeconomic status. I don't care about their ethnicity. We don't. 
They could be like Saul or they could be like Cornelius. It doesn't matter. Everybody needs Jesus and he's called us to take Jesus to them. Nobody's going to feel guilty about this anymore. Do you hear me? This is not a request. Nobody's feeling guilty about this. We're relaxing. God does the heavy lifting. We just go who be who we are wherever we go. Remember we did that thing in January? Hopefully got a list of prayer folks. Folks that God has called and put in our name. Isn't this cool? How much fun is this? Does it feel like fun? We may talk about politics. We may talk about cultural values. I have lots of those conversations with lots of people. For me, while I'm trying to help people think through those things to a view that I hold, mostly I'm trying to establish credibility so if they don't love Christ, I can talk about Jesus. Because I care way more about their view of Jesus than their politics. You guys know I'm a staunch anti-abortionist, right? I care more about their view of Jesus than I do their view of abortion. But I care a lot about that view, abortion. I care more about people seeing Jesus. (laughs) And we're going to be refusing to be distracted by lesser things. Because Jesus is preeminent. Nothing, no one else is as important to us. Make sense? And this is a great life. We're not feeling guilty about not going to church more and reading our Bible more. But however much joy and peace we have, I wake every day. Every day I have one goal, to be happier than I was yesterday. I have found the solution. His name is Jesus. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for revealing Jesus to us. Thanks for putting us in this world. Oh, Father, thanks for trusting us with the gospel. You trusted Cornelius, you trusted Peter. Ah, Father, you trust we broken people who are still on this journey to more joy with you. There's so many times we don't express as much as we would like our faith. Thanks for loving us even when we mess up. Thanks for drawing us to yourself. Fill us with more of the joy that can only be found in Jesus. Fill us with more of the peace that can only be found in Jesus. Oh, Father, for the folks with whom we're interacting, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, students at school, whoever it be, Father, be working in those people's hearts to help them see what motivates us. Help us to be salt and light, Father. 
but mostly help us. Oh, may be promoting Jesus' love be the priority, the driving purpose of our life. For your glory, for our ever-increasing joy, and for the benefit of those who so desperately need to meet you.